Okay. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening and welcome to the Stop Child Abuse Now show. This is scan number 3,175. That's 3,175. Tonight we're going to have on Daryl Smith. He's from hmm, Luton, it looks like, um, New Zealand. And he's a survivor advocate and author. He's a longtime family member of NASCA. And he's an ambassador to New Zealand. So I'm waiting for him to call in, all right? So, um, anyway, we have a couple of people online right now, several people, and I hope that he's able to get through. Um, he does uh, have quite a story to tell, and also it's he's in a battle, if you will, about uh, the Catholics and what's happened in the churches and so forth with children. So, anyway, it'll be an interesting show. Now, let me get the uh, the NASCA mission statement out of the way. Uh, we have a singleness of purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so from two different ways. And number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and it does. We ought, number two is offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and for information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. I want um, everyone to know that they can reach our website, and that's naasca.org, that's nasca.org. And uh, at any time, if you have, you know, questions or whatever, you can give me a call and I'll try to help you. And if you need answers to questions that you have on a personal level, you can find a lot of information right on our NASCA website. And that's, again, naasca.org. Or you can go to the contact list, and you can uh, find my name along with quite a few others and give us a call. All right. The phone number here is 646-595-2118. That's 646-595-2118. And uh, if you want to be a part of this uh, discussion that we're going to have tonight, then um, please do call, okay? And uh, we'll be hearing from Daryl Smith. Um, 
kind of funny that he's not here. But I, I had like one minute to go before the show started. I, I was on another call, and um, I couldn't get to the phone in time. But anyway, he will call in. So on our show here at NASCA, all right, on our show here at NASCA, we get we do all kinds of things for people, and we don't charge, okay? We don't get paid for what we do. My way of payment is when I'm able to help someone, okay? And um, that means more to me, actually, than, you know, being paid. Because when you're a kid growing up and you're abused the way that we've been abused, most of us, the, the, as much, we don't take yardsticks here, okay, on NASCAR. But we grow up with so many problems ourselves, which have to be straightened out. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, along the line you get the proper help and uh, you get the help that you need because we can suffer from all different types of maladies. You name it, we can have it, okay? And it has to do with relationships. It has to do, um, you know, with how we feel about ourselves, the low self-esteem angle that we have to get over because maybe we're told we're stupid all our lives or something like that. And uh, then we realize we're not stupid at all, okay? And a lot of us are educated. A lot of us uh, have talent. And um, But maybe we didn't realize that as we were growing up because we were never told or praised as children for uh, anything good that we did, okay? So we had to find that all out on our own. And a lot of us, you know, what they have come to the conclusion, and even the DSM does recognize it, that um, you can have, you know, panic attacks, panic disorder, uh, PTSD, which they were questioning for a while, but now the uh, DSM-5 does admit that, you know, and they recognize it as a, a definite, um, you know, condition that people can have. And uh, that can, it's a whole broad spectrum of things that uh, people suffer from, which are now recognized. took a long time, okay? So I'm glad, you know, I do a lot of research. That's why I, I know these things, and I spoke a little bit about it last night. So um, I'm still waiting for Daryl to show up. If he doesn't show up, there's always plenty to talk about. And I have Lori Purcell here. I have Philip here. And I know Bill is in the background. He's always doing work. And I lost half my page here. I don't know why that happened. There we go. That's better. I hit something wrong. But anyway, I've got it back. So is there something that you want to talk about, Lori, by any chance, in case uh, Daryl doesn't show? Um, sure. Um, uh, when you first said, I uh, hit home because I was the one that didn't know I had the talent um, that okay. I do, which I believe is a gift. I look at talent and different people as you're just kind of standing on a conveyor belt, and when you're <laughs> dropped down from heaven, it just goes mm-hmm. through that person. And for the first 20 years, I had no clue. Uh, what I was interested in, because nobody ever focused on me or another family, the person, they kind of get, they don't bring them out. You know, they don't let the child actually grow into the child, you know, especially now with all these problems. You know, go find the child is the game these days. It involves a lot of time. It involves a lot of places uh, where you should, couldn't be, should have been. You don't even know, but, you know, it's all 
affecting and it's delaying growth. It's delaying everything that a child's supposed to be growing into gets put on hold because of the trauma. You know, they they don't come equipped with, as babies, with tools to figure all these um, people out, what they're doing and how they're feeling about what they're feeling and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, people, a lot of people don't even think kids are, like, worthwhile to talk to. Um, at a young age because they don't think that they can get on the same level as them or that they haven't grown up yet and aren't officially adults. Either way, uh, the child is losing in in a situation like that, and they don't really get to, like, explore themselves. Kids are supposed to be secure, and when you interrupt that secure feeling, everything changes, and your life can go right down the toilet because of it. Um, okay. bring on all kinds of problems, you know, a lot of, like, drugs and just having sex with all different partners and violence in and, and the home. All of that is, like, stemmed because of what the child went through. And I don't think this should be ignored anywhere, but people still are ignoring it. So I want to figure out the ways to, like, wake people up and let them know that the kids are important. They're the future. You know, they're going to be taking care of you one day in the nursing home. So you've got to speak up, let the kid know that they have a voice and that there are people that are going to listen to them, take them seriously, because it's the only way a child can develop into a healthy person. So a lot of us, as you always say, yeah, we we get interrupted and we had to go through a whole bunch of crap. And so, you know, Finding a way and actually being on a trail that you necessarily weren't supposed to be on when you were born, but because of a trauma, you went down that trail. So a person, if they have what it takes to, like, accept that part of it and they give back, like Michelle last night, I mean, what a powerful, oh, amazing person. Um, yes. You know, you ha- people have to pick it up. I mean... We still need more people picking it up and people actually listening and not ignoring. And I, when we focused, I always focused on the school because those are the definite years um, that the kid is developing. And I know teachers know more because I have talked to teachers who are my neighbors and they know a lot of what's going on, but they don't say anything. Um, they don't even give the child a voice because they're scared. Um, coming from New York, it was rough. I grew up in a, you know, a rough school and ended up, I mean, there was a police always at this school and they had a metal detector. I mean, that, that was like bad. But somebody has to still get into the schools, convince these teachers first. That's the first thing. Like when we went in when I was with the club, we didn't talk to the children first. We went in and talked to the teachers so they would understand what we were doing and what we were wanting to educate these children about. And I was so stunned to find out that these teachers didn't have a clue of how serious um, a child's problem that isn't being addressed is or how badly bullying could affect them. They were like in total like shock, and I'm like, you're in the school and you're watching all these kids, 
You know, so I focus always on the education system. Those who interact with the child the most outside the house, those are the ones where you're going to find the information from. So hold on, Lori. Lori, honey, hold on a second. Um, now I'm looking for Daryl Smith, right? Because that's the name of the guest. But I have here Reiki Master. Now, <laughs> hold on a second. What you're saying is absolutely right. And this actually goes along with school, what, what he's talking about, things that happen and so forth, and, and the Catholic Church and, and uh, so many things here. Let me see if uh, Reiki Master, who am I speaking to? Reiki? I'm not too sure who this is. It might be Philip. I have a um, a note on the heat sheet that I have that it's Reiki Master, but it could be Okay, yeah, I thought that was his number, yeah, but I've never seen him go by uh, Reiki Master. Okay. 616? No, 661. Yeah, 661. Mm -hmm. What, Matt? Is this Philip? This is Philip, but I don't know about the nickname. Okay, it is Philip, okay. Yeah, um, okay. you threw me off. You threw me off because we're waiting for the guests to come on. But um, it's okay because Lori's doing a fine job here. Let me tell you something. Lori uh, has a lot of common sense, and she has a lot of I, – I listen to her a lot. <laughs> I do because she's really quite smart. And um, and she's come so far. You know, she really has come so far, and I think Bill will agree with this. And you're right. We should look at um, – the school system, but unfortunately, I just want to bring something to your attention, which always busts things. Um, look at Penn State. You heard about Penn State. Now, you're in yes. Pennsylvania now, okay? Yeah. Those teachers were, they knew exactly <clears throat> what was going on, okay, what was going on. And, and, and they were so afraid of losing their jobs or maybe even getting in trouble, whatever, um, because they, too, were allowing for it to happen. Um, you know, so in cases like that, when you have school systems that really, you know, just want to keep away from it, they don't want to be a part of, now that's where the mandating reporter comes in, because teachers, too, are supposed to be mandated reporters if they see something or if they know something. And for God's sake, look what was happening in that school, all right? That was horrible in that college, Okay. And um, and no one did anything. And it went on for years. Also, too, when I moved up to North Jersey, I was going to work in detention center up here. I thought, let me go up here. I worked at the other one. Let me work at this one. And um, I turned the job down because of the hours in my life at that time. Um, I couldn't do it. I find out that the sheriff, which was well-known, Sheriff Bullock, who is now deceased and has been for a little while, was going into the um, juvie section, and he was getting the boys out at night one by one, sexually abusing them, and uh, then giving them candy. Now, the people there, too, knew about what was going on, and they didn't do anything about it. Now, fast forward, I received a letter, um, an email, and uh, that's this guy, that what happened was the kids grew up. They turned into adults. And this so often happens, Lori. You know this. Um, they don't say anything until around 40-ish or whatever. 
And uh, they decided, uh, some of them, to come forward and, and get that sheriff in trouble, which he should have done, you know, been happening years before. By that time, he was 84 years old. Okay. So there was a protest down in Hunterdon County, which I was a part of, and another NASCA member who only came on once because it blew her mind. Um, she didn't want to talk about her past anymore. But she and I went down there, and I didn't feel sorry for this man. No, I didn't. He was being wheeled into the courthouse, and he had an oxygen tank, and he was 84. All right? So um, what happens is so often in the school system, um, you know, people don't talk. And by God, I have found out, because I looked it up again the other night, that many states now, if you know, especially if you're a mandated reporter and you don't report abuse or suspected abuse, you can get fined heavily. And sometimes, in some cases, you can go to jail. Depends on what happens to the kid, I think, how severe a case it is. To me, they're all severe. But you know what I'm saying. So what we have to do is we have to get the mandated reporters to understand just how um, – you know how how much this means to children and to our future, uh, the future of the children. Because if those kids, you know, the ones like who were in juvenile detention and they were being abused there, okay, and the one in Penn State when those kids who were um, actually children that came from a background um, where they were poor and all this other stuff, and people thought at, who didn't know, the people who were not in the know thought that he was doing a uh, good job by what he was doing, by working with these kids and so forth. And, of course, that all came out later on. But, you see, the ones that know what's going on and do nothing, they're equally as guilty, equally as guilty, okay? And that's just the way it is, and that's the way it should be, too. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I, I heard called, a funny noise. Oh, by the way, I've, I just want you to know I've called um, <clears throat> Daryl, texted uh-huh. him, and emailed him, so we're waiting to see back from him. He, you're right, though. It's very unusual for him to not be right on time, so I hope he's okay. <laughs> All right. I hope so, but, too. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. And that's why when I, I, I saw Philip, uh, you know, come in as a different name. I thought maybe that uh, it was he that Daryl was using. You know, <laughs> I didn't know, so I had to check that out. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Lori, but we had to um, you know, get that straightened out. But now they have something. I just want to say this, and you're doing a fine job with expressing you know, your desires and your hopes and your dreams and what we need for the future. And now, the future should be now in this case. But... Um, now people can be like mandated reporters as well, just regular people who aren't in the professional field. Um, if they see something, they say something, and um, and if they don't, if they don't, they too can be neighborhood is what I'm talking about. All right, they too can be held accountable for uh, what's going on, and. Uh, you know, and, and, and they'll get fined or maybe possible imprisonment. Now, in 48 states, that shows you just how broad a span it is. Um, they are looking at this in a total different way. So our country is changing in that sense, which is good and might be helpful to the kids. So thank God for that. 
And uh, because a lot of times, especially if the abuse is coming from home, you know it, I know it, a lot of us know it, Bill knows it, we all know it on NASCAR. If the uh, abuse is coming from home is not addressed and the kids don't know where to go, who are they going to tell, an aunt, an uncle? In my case, I did tell an aunt, and it was good, but how often does that happen? Okay. Um, you know, usually it doesn't go anywhere. It lays stagnant, and it continues on throughout the family. And then there's others that just don't want to, you know, let the outside world know about their family being so dysfunctional and so abusive, so they, too, keep their mouth shut. So kids have a hell of a time. They have a very hard time, you know, finding someone who will champion their cause, which is what I put right in the front of my book, champion their cause, because that's what we need. We need people to champion our cause. So with these laws that are in place in many, many states now, and it continues to grow, um, and when I say 48 states, that doesn't mean it's been totally passed in all of them. There are some states that are kind of falling behind, but I think in time, too, because of pressure that's being put on them, they, too, will say, no, if you know something and you don't say something, then you, too, are equally as guilty. So I agree with you, absolutely. It does absolutely. You know, they they spend how much time with our kids? Okay. And it's, it's a full-time so, so, job. Sure. It's a full-time job. So, I mean, that's a bulk of the kid's day. You know, they know them sometimes better than the parents because parents a lot of times have to work and, you know, get whatever else they're doing at home in, in place. So they really are, you know, in public eye. So for someone to not see them is impossible. I mean, those teacher conference rooms, they talk. <laughs> they talk on there, they talk on the Internet, and then they meet. They actually meet and uh, discuss who's coming where, where the family was from, and all kinds of things that, you know, you don't, you didn't have to do way back then, but they know. They know, and they choose, a lot of them choose to just not do anything because of everything that can come back at them. They don't want to open up that can of worms, and they don't want any trouble um, on their shoulders, and all schools pretty much think, you know, keep it in-house. But the in-house well, isn't doing its job all the time. I agree with you. And, and they, they should be held accountable. What were you going to say? You think they need what? Oh, I, was, I just found out um, a couple of days ago that my, my neighbor, who's been teaching now almost 20 years, in the school, uh, I knew the uh, secretaries, and it showed up that they really wanted to push her out, and I couldn't figure out why would they. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's uh, teaching Spanish. It turns out that she actually slapped a kid. She slapped a kid. It was seen. It was recorded. And guess who's still working? You know, like, the teacher. Why? Yeah. She's making yeah. a lot of money there to sit down there and do what she's doing. And nobody said a word. You know, they kept it in-house, and it didn't go anywhere. They letting her reach her 20-year, which is actually around soon, 
and collect all whatever she's, you know, doing, pension and all that. And what she did to that kid, because that kid will never forget that. And it's from coming from a home is bad enough. But when you think that, you know, you're in school and you're in a safety net sort of because you feel that people are looking out for you and then they turn around and slap you or, you know, just say nasty stuff to you, make you feel really bad about yourself because they do comment about other things, you know, if they're not in style. I mean, even their clothing, you can tell whether they're uh, taken care of, you know, just by what they're wearing and what their supplies are, you know, what they're actually into. You, They know. They know the kids. And some teachers actually remember them into their retirement. So they are part of their lives. Now, I never really had a favorite teacher, um, but I bet a lot of people who did have one actually made a really good impact on them and for their future and whatnot because they took the interest in them. I don't think kids don't count because of circumstances. I don't believe that any kids should be thrown away. Um, If they bring weapons into school, obviously they will be. But while they're in school, it's a teacher's job to build that child up, to find out what's going on with the child who's acting out, with the child who's not doing, making the grades. You know, with a child who can't have the attention span in class to do what they're doing. You know, they don't even know. Maybe some some kids are actually dyslexic and the reason they can't see or figure out what the teacher's writing on the board is because of that. And that is why they're failing tests. I think it's that teacher's job to actually um, check into all areas of what could be surrounding the problem that any particular kid is having. Because the young teachers that are coming in, they're only a few years, if you get into the high school, they're only a few years older than the kids in high school. So they want to be one of the crowd, you know, they want to be the popular person still. Um, And they're not, you know, that far in front of the, the teachers. So they have subjects and they have everything, like, in place already. It's only, what, like a five-year difference, I think, once you go and get a degree, a five-year difference, and then you get your master's to, you know, after whatnot, and get your doctorate if you want. You know, some people have done that, too. Um, All that takes time. Uh, They obviously have the time, they have the money, they have the interest, and they can absorb the knowledge. So if you've got all the knowledge of going into a school, because you also just don't get hired right out of college in a lot of places. You actually have to be trained in the school district. That's where it used to be by me. And, you know, attend courses, attend the community affairs, what's going on so they really know. I mean, they want them, you know, like not not oblivious to what's going on. So they do educate them in their own way. And there are good schools. And there are bad schools, you know, and the mediocre schools. They're all kinds. And kids end up in the good schools, the mediocre schools, and the other schools in between there. So out of a class, back when I went to school, a class consisted of 30 kids. I graduated with 2,500 kids. So it was one teacher. It's city. It's city. Yeah, go ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, I could understand why, you know, they're overwhelmed this, but they were obviously troubled kids. And there's one particular kid who actually had his mother throw a knife at his his face when he hit his, him in the eye and the kid was all bruised up, but they didn't like the kid. So they never said a word to anybody. Nobody checked, you know, his injuries. Nobody checked why he was doing, acting out and whatnot. They just didn't like the kid. I don't think that that's possible, honestly. Somebody isn't connecting to them. There is always going to be somebody there that will, it's not so much like you was at first, maybe just like understand you and want to get to know you. Um, mm-hmm. The rare kids find the right person. Um now that in Pennsylvania, they only have like 20 kids in a class, which mm-hmm. is amazing to me. And mm-hmm. the teacher across the street, she says the first two weeks that they do not real schoolwork, but they get to know each other and hands-on. It's all, all different around here. So the approaches of different states here, um, I'm pleased with it. I mean, she, she's really You know what, you're going to... You're, you're going to love, I think I can see it now, um, you're going to love where you move to, okay? And you're right, because so many of the schools are so different, they shouldn't be. Because, uh, quite frankly, when you know a child is being abused, you should, you know, you should feel like you should have to do something about it. To turn and walk the other way, like we speak about so often, it's not acceptable, it's not morally right, and it's uh, a person should, uh, you know, be held accountable. When I went to school in, in PS26, you reminded me of something. When I went to school in PS26 in Travis, that was Staten Island, there was this lady, she was a drunk, okay? <laughs> she used to come to school with a bottle. Now, we had a huge class, too. A lot of times cities, you know, the, the city schools have much bigger classrooms. And... um she was a nasty teacher, all right? She liked her vodka, Lori. She had a big bottle of vodka in her desk drawer. Well, one day she decided that she was going to hit somebody, a, a little boy, and she smacked him in the head. I got so enraged. I was enraged. I, I wasn't scared of her. I don't know why. I think maybe it's because I saw so much uh, physical abuse, okay, that... um I don't know, it didn't affect me as much as it affected someone else. I got mad. And I went and I, I, told, the, uh, I told the principal. I did, right after class. And she did get fired. They walked into her classroom and they opened up her, um, her drawer. And, and sure enough, there was the bottle. Now, what this lady used to do, okay, when the weather was really bad outside... Um, we tried to have, they're in the process of building other schools because it was such an overcrowd, okay? And that's why we had over 30 kids in our class. So, but in the um, in the gymnasium at, at lunchtime, a lot of us would gather. The teachers would take us into the gym. Well, she made all of us stand around. Instead of being able to play in the gymnasium, she made us go into a circle and just stand there stand there and she'd walk around with a belt now this one little girl was so frightened of her that she urinated all over the floor 
Now, I was too tough for that, and I was mad at her. Now, this particular day, when the little girl urinated on the floor, I knew that I was going to sooner or later tell on this teacher. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't stand not to tell on her. So between the booze thing and the, and the kid in the classroom and then this kid in the, in the um, audit, I was going to say auditorium, in, in the gymnasium, that was too much. Now, we need people, you know, um, usually kids keep their mouths shut because they're scared and all this other stuff, and, and, and that's more the norm of, of how children do behave, and that's understandable. But I personally have been through so much, um, I told on people when they were abusing me. I told on them. And then I had to suffer the wrath of it because they'd come after me at times, a little kid. But I didn't care about this. I wanted this lady gone. And they did fire her. So they did the right thing with her. She didn't remain in the school. They got rid of her. So I wasn't very popular amongst the teachers <laughs> after that. Instead of them understanding, you know, you're talking about people going to the PTA and talking about it and talking about kids and, and, and all this other stuff, the way the things should happen, and maybe that does, maybe it's much better today, I don't know. But back then, they looked at me as a trouble causer because I had told on this teacher, and I didn't care. Because whether it be a child that says something or whether it be an adult who should say something, okay, this is what we need more of. We need more people to step up and step forward and say, hey, this is what's happening. And until we have that, then we're not going to... Um, have much, you know, success with children like we'd like to have. I have seen a change um, in the last 12, 13 years since I've been on NASCAR. Um, we have all of our books out there. We have our music. We have, um, we have our, our, you know, artwork that we do and, and all this other stuff. Um, to bring forth awareness, we have our shows, like the show here. Um, you know, there's other shows. And this is all wonderful and good. But society has to change. And that's the biggest problem right there. Because if we had people in the neighborhoods who cared more, I mean, I told the guy across the street, well, I have to, I have to go as far as later. I have to go. I, um, the show is going to start and I have to run the show tonight. I wouldn't run a show like that. And he walked away. Well, when we have people, you know, that have that type of mentality who I didn't have time to question why, because I would if I had more time. But um, when we have people who have that type of mentality where they don't care um, and they don't, uh, I don't know what his background is. Maybe he came from a terribly abusive home and it's too much for him to talk about. I don't know yet. But the point is that we have to be able to step forward, get out of our own skin. This is one time you don't want to be comfortable in your skin. You want to get out of your own skin and say, hey, I'm an adult. A child down the street is being beaten, possibly sexually abused, physically, mentally, emotionally, who knows what, isn't clean, um, things like that, and I have to say something. Okay? So that's what we need. We need for people in the neighborhoods and the school system and anyone who does deal with children to do the right thing. Now, you speak about 
um, if a kid goes to school looking dirty and stuff like that. When I lived in the first house where the pedophile was, um, I wasn't allowed to bathe more than once a week. And uh, I just get mad thinking about it. So there was a brook that actually uh, separated New Jersey from New York. It would be upstate um, and, and New Jersey, upper New Jersey. Um, so anyway, in the summertime, I go down there, and those days, Lori, the water was so clean, you could look down and you'd see stones. You could. I mean, the water was that clean, all right? And I had one friend, and she'd say to me, Carol, why are you doing this? Why do you bring a little piece of soap? Because I'd steal a little piece of soap, and, and I had a washcloth. And why are you doing this? And I, I was ashamed to tell her that I wasn't allowed to bathe more than once a week. And the only reason why they let me bathe on Friday nights was because my mother might come the next day. I saw her maybe three times a month to pay them for my care, my supposed care. All right. So I have to admit, now school started again after that summer. I was there a year and a half. School started again, and um, I was being made fun of really bad in school, right? The bullies, the bullies. And um, I, I beat the heck out of this girl. I, I almost pulled her pigtail out. Yes, I did. You bet I did. Because she was sitting there saying, poor Carol, she's not going to have any ice cream today either. And something just went boop in my brain, and I punched her in the face, and then I pulled her pigtail, which was perfectly done, and she was beautifully dressed every single day. And I was total opposite. So, of course, I was sent down to the principal's office, and they had my mother's telephone number. I didn't know where she lived, and I didn't have a telephone number for her or anything. And my stupid father, as he was uh, supposed to be, was out in California. So I didn't have anybody, all right? So um, anyway, um, they got her over to the school, and the school nurse did say to her, Carol looks as though she's not clean. Her hair is greasy. It needs to be cut. She looks like she needs more attention. Now, that was a very long time ago. But that person did the right thing. Okay, that that school nurse became my best buddy. All right? So we need more people like that school nurse who will open up their mouth and say, you know, your child looks like, you know, she needs more attention, that she's dirty and her clothing doesn't look right, while my mother's standing there in uh, designer clothing and looking beautiful. Okay? So I think it really angered the nurse that she could look like that, and there I am like this. So what I had to do was stay in the office for two weeks and eat my lunch there, which was fine because I was then away from these people. But they became very frightened of me because of what I had done, and I wasn't bullied anymore. Now, I'm not advocating (laughs) violence, all right, but that worked for me to do that to stand my ground, to stay up and say no no more, to stand up and say no more. So what we kids go through, all right, what we go through is horrific when we're children, depending on where we're at um, in life, where we're placed. I thought that day my mother would take me, but she didn't. 
and then I was put into another household. But in this second household, I was treated well. And I, I, I started to gain weight back. I had been pulling my hair out. I was a mess. And um, I, have, I was with my cousins, and that was a good house to be. And um, I was getting hand-me-downs from my youngest cousin, but she and I were almost the same age and almost the same weight. And I grew into the clothing that was given to me. And the kids stopped bullying me so much in school. So, you see, we go through horrible things. I was there for a few more months, and uh, then my mother had remarried. I don't know where. I don't know when it took place. I don't know anything. I was never told. And we moved to Staten Island. Okay. So then in Staten Island, um, I was kidnapped and raped. So, I mean, it goes on and on and on. This is the repetitive thing that I speak about, which is how we develop a post-traumatic stress disorder because anything that's done repetitively then becomes um, a disorder and it's recognized. So, you see, if the school doesn't have our best interests at heart, the teachers, if they don't say, hey, I'm a teacher, and if they're not taught ahead of time, you know, the signs of child abuse, what to look for, although a lot of it just stands right out, common sense, you know, being dirty, like you said, and, um, you know, being too skinny, um, things like that, and, and looking greasy and everything. <laughs> the kids used to call me greaseful. I can laugh at it today, but I, I certainly couldn't back then, okay, because kids can be very mean, okay? They absolutely can. And um, so these things that we go through, people out there who are listening through the computer, I'm not trying to give a sob story here. I'm trying to make reality come forth. And I'm glad that the states now are really moving forward pretty quickly and the, the people out there who know that there is abuse going on next door or down the street or whatever, don't feel that you can't be a mandated reporter. You can report, absolutely. And you, too, if they find out that you did know that something was going on, you, too, can be fined. So that's, that's pretty good, Lori. So, you see, now we've got people... Even if they don't want to do it, you know, from the bottom of their heart, help, they know that if they, they will know, okay, uh, if they don't open up their mouth and they see people getting fined here and get fined there, or maybe even more, say the kid ends up dead from physical abuse at home, I'm just saying. Um, yeah, then maybe they'll all start talking. So it had to get to that point, to that point where society knows that they have to be decent. I don't want to use the word decent. And say, hey, there's a problem. So thankfully now we have more people that are going to look at child abuse in a different light. And it's been going on for a while, but it came quite a while for it to come to be. And uh, and now, like I said, 48 states you know, or involved with this. And um, there's only three, and New Jersey is one of them, by the way, that was uh, 
standing back and not wanting to be so hard on the people, excuse me, what about the children? You make good points in everything that you said. You make good points. We do have to speak up, you know. Yes, you do. Um, We do have to speak up, and, and now it has to be a community. It has to be a society issue where people, you know, speak up, say something, and do something. What do they do? Make a phone call. That's all you have to do. You've done your job. There's all different ways of talking to kids. Um, that's why one of the words on, in the mission statement is uh, intervention. Um, <laughs> there's a way of doing it. You don't be harsh with the child. Say, hey, what's the matter with you? How come you're looking so funny or whatever? You don't do that. You approach a child if you want to speak to them. Because a lot of times people are afraid maybe they're making a mistake or something. And they're afraid they'll get in trouble for, you know, reporting or because maybe they were wrong or whatever, um, although it's kind of hard to figure a kid being wrong or the person being wrong, you know what I'm saying? Um, so they teach you how, and that's even on our, our um, right right on our, our website. David Pittman, I believe, mentions, and there might be more than David Pittman, I'm going to look later, that tell you how to um, approach children. Because, you see, we have to have uh, people of compassion when it comes to children. Bill always says they're our future. If we don't take care of the children today, then tomorrow, where are those children going to be? They're going to be the ones that might end up in detention where I used to work and places like that. And, And if they're not gotten help, after detention, then they go to prison. Um, The stats of those who have been abused in the prisons are astounding, and they keep getting higher, and I don't even see how they can get any higher. I mean, with women, there is a certain amount, and with guys, there is a certain amount. I have it written down somewhere here. But I saw it, and I was shocked. I was shocked. And um, quite frankly... This is what happens, and so what happens is these people, that's why we have so many criminals, too, because their needs weren't taken care of when they were a child, and maybe they grew up in a house where there was nothing but verbal and mental and and physical abuse. It doesn't have to always be sexual, okay? And because that wasn't fixed or changed, this is what the child grows up with. So then, therefore, this is how they, too, many times, not all the time, but many times, how they become. And so what you're saying is all accurate. We have to be a people who care. We have to be a people who feel like um, it is our responsibility to look after children. And those who are mandated reporters who don't report, shame on you like the people in Penn State and other places that I mentioned at times, who know, like in that detention center that I almost worked in, I wish I had because I would have caught that SOB. And you know I have a big mouth. <laughs> you know, I would have said something. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I would have been alive after that, <laughs> but I would have said something. Okay. Because that's what we have to do. 
otherwise. Why do you think there's so many kids out in the street and they think it's okay to, to loot, to smash windows? Where do they come from? Look at the kids now on the subways in the city. I don't even want to go into the city. And I love the city. I, I love to go to Broadway and places like that. I don't think Broadway's even open right now. If it is, it's going to shut down again because they open, they shut, they open and shut because of all the things that are going on. And um, the museums and, and all that stuff. I and, and just the element of the people because that's where I really belong, okay, is in the city. You want to come to the country the birds are. I've seen enough birds. Thank you. I want to go back. I want to go back. <laughs> I want to go back into the city. And and um, be around community because I like community, okay. And and to be able the shopping is outrageous. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. But we have to have a safer world. We have to have a safer country in order to do that. So my granddaughter, she goes to the city all the time, and I told her, I want you to stay home. She said, well, Nana, then you come with me. Well, if she keeps it up, I am going to go with her. I might wear a helmet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I will go because I love the city, but I love my granddaughter even more, okay? I, you know, she's got to stop it. She has a boyfriend. He doesn't even want to go to the city, okay? So this is the world that we live in. Some things that we grew up with where people did keep their mouths shut all the time now is getting better, a lot of it, because it is forced upon them to be better, like I'm talking about with the 48 states. Um, I don't care what it takes. All right? I don't care what it takes. Just so long as it happens. Because if it doesn't happen... Our society will continue, you know, to get bad. And then, too, remember, kids, they see all the things that are going on with the adults. I'm not going to get political here, but I don't have to get political. People know what's going on. And they see things. And, okay, if they steal only $995 worth of something, that's not grand larceny. So, therefore, they can um, steal up to $995 or something. And then they know, too, that um, if they, you know, the, the people in the prison, the prison population, I was talking to someone the other day, and of course I'm always interested in prison things because I worked with it, but, um, yeah, the prison population is overcrowded. Now, a, a lot of this money that's going, like, uh, for the air and all this other stuff, look, I'm all about clean air. I had this guy at my door today. He's trying to sell me those solar panels, put them in my roof. I told him to take a hike. But I got him laughing, and we got along well. And I said to him, I'm just not interested. I'm more interested in a safer society than I am worried about panels in my roof, okay? And are you going to buy a $50,000 car? I don't think so. He says, I can't. I said, well, neither can I. Now, these things are not important. What's important are people. People at the border, yes. Kids getting taken, put out on the street. This is horrific. Um, also, too, their organs, they're being strangled and raped, and then they sell their organs. And um, some of the hospitals are not very scrupulous. They don't care where they get the organs from. And then you have the black market. You see, there's so much corruption out there, Lori, that these are the things that I think about. Now, I can't stop it. 
But we can stop what we're doing in our homes. We have to get help. If we were horribly abused as children and we take it out on our children, then there's a problem and then people, those people need to get help. And if the school system sees that children are being abused, maybe they have bruising um, or they're dirty or, or, you know, they're much too skinny, I mean, obviously there's a problem, okay? And uh, then they too have to, you know, get more involved and feel like, too, that it is their obligation to do so and not look and watch and, and turn the other way. So you see, it's a societal type of thing, a society, where society, even if it means making laws, so society has to respond, which is okay with me, um, whatever it takes, because this is what's going to help our children grow up and be good citizens, you know, after the age of 18, thank you very much. You don't go to bed at the age of 17, wake up the next day, and you're an adult. What were you like when you were 18 years old? Believe it or not, I was level-headed. I was in college, paid my own way, take care of my grandmother, and all the other craziness that went on. You know, I... uh, uh, well, that's wonderful. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> I think, well, you know, listen. supposed to be out partying. You know, I didn't do something. that. Lori, you're, you're, you're unique, okay? <laughs> Look, I'm going to be honest. I remember what I was like when I was 18 years old, okay? I was a juvenile delinquent, like, from the age of 14, and I started biking when I was 15. Not that that makes a juvenile delinquent, but I was with rough people. It's who I hung out with. I was drinking. I was popping pills. Uh, you know, I was getting abused at home, sexually and everything else. So, and I had all that other stuff that I was mentioned before happen. So it's just like my mind just exploded. I just simply became a juvenile delinquent. And so when I was 18, I thought I was madly in love. I had cut my wrist at age 17, and um, I turned 18 soon thereafter. And I was nuts about this guy that I met in the uh, diner that night when I, another time when I ran away because um, I wanted to kill myself. And my friend did come home early, and she caught me, and she dragged me out of my house. And we were thrown out anyway without a penny in our pocket. So she taped me up the best she could with on my wrist, and I was still bleeding through, but we did the best we could. We were just kids, all right? 17 years old, you're still a kid, sorry. And um, we walked up to the Madison Diner, and I saw this guy that looked like a movie star. Nine months later, we were married. That wasn't waiting long enough, Lori, because I didn't really know him. Okay, that was husband number one. But many times we run away from home to and get married to get out of a situation. And because we're not old enough to make good choices and because we come from the backgrounds that we came from, we don't make good choices anyway. I sure as heck didn't. I had to wait until I got older and sat myself down and, and started realizing that I have to change, Okay. I have to be a better person. Many of the people that call me, Lori, 
are still wallowing in, in the uh, grief that they went through as a child. Yes, we all went through grief. But if we don't, you know, push it aside and say, hey, that was yesterday, today is today, and I want a better tomorrow, then we're not going to be able to grow. And then they say, well, how do I do that? Well, we have to sit down to ourselves if you want and, and, and just simply say, okay, I wasn't responsible for the way that I was treated as a child. That was bad and it shouldn't have happened. But that doesn't mean that I have to turn into a jerk, all right? <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I have to forgive those people. I don't have to. I don't forgive any of my abusers. Why should I? They knew what they were doing, and they didn't care. So I don't believe in that stuff, but that's just me. But I had to change me to become a better person so that I could get as far as I've gotten even today, all right? Because had I not, I probably would have ended up in jail. I probably would have. So, you know, the drinking, the drugging, stealing my clothing, um, all this other stuff, not in, not having a car, and I couldn't get around. My mother wouldn't give me one. She gave my brother five by that time. He was five years older than me. He started getting vehicles when he was 13. 13! We owned a lot of property with each uh, flower place that we owned. So if you want end, uh, at one end, you have Victory Boulevard in Staten Island, right? And, and you go to the other end, you have Signs Road. We owned all that property in between. See, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're middle class. If you come from a bad home, you've got problems. And money isn't going to straighten it out unless it's spent on you in the proper way. So a lot of kids, they you know, they turn into delinquents. So before when you were saying to me what you said in, in, in the email, I had time to think about it. I had to plug my phone in. <laughs> it was it was it was dying. But um, people get to where they are today because of where they've been many times, and they had to make amends uh, to some people because we're not always good people. And then uh, make ourselves better people, too. And we do not have to do it. We just have to want to do it. And that's how you move forward. That's very true. That's very yeah. true. You know, we never know what our lives are going to turn into because we were detoured. Um, but we know what we came. We know if we're good people or not. You know, you can feel that inside you yeah come with a set of standards each person does they don't always develop they're supposed to be nurtured but you're basically a person when you're born with your own everything that's attached so the the people that um you know that aren't picked up and really could have been something to help society those are the the people that I, I feel really bad for, because when you're abused and you go through the healing process, you become that really survivor type person, and usually those people will bring in and spot kids, you know, that are in that same kind of position, and they have more to offer 
I think, uh, and I'm not putting down an education or anything, but being in the same shoes um, or nearby shoes of a kid coming through the system really helps them. You know, it, it's an advantage they have. They can understand more because they've been there. So I can go with my brother. I can remember when he was in school, and he was around 14. He was a problem, and they wanted to put him in special ed right away, um, but he never ended up in there. But when he was 14, he had surgery on his uh, to remove a bone in his chest, and we actually had to have the teachers come home too to him. So there were three different teachers, and one of them I also had in school. And for months um, of his recovery, they were in and out of my filthy house with the crazy lady, wherever she was doing, and knowing all of this and seeing it and just walking in and out every day, every day, every day, you know, how much more in front of you could it be? And yet they didn't do anything. Thankfully, they were smart enough to realize I wasn't like my brother. So when I came up the year later in the school, they didn't treat me, you know, the same way. They at least, you know, didn't hold my what my brother was doing over my head. And they just let me get my A-plus grades, and they thought they were wonderful teachers because I did that. So why bother, you know, pointing out <laughs> that I'm in ragged clothes, that I'm, you know, obviously uh, I don't belong where I am. You know, the, all the signs were there. But what happened my brother from that and being ignored, he had no relationship with all, almost all his teachers until high school. Um and one of the teachers came to the hospital when he had that surgery, and that teacher actually affected him in a positive way. And I think it was the first kind of connection that he made with the teacher. Mm-hmm. So instead of turning into the lunatic that he is, he carried that with him, but he actually went and got himself into a college um and got some kind of degree, and the weird thing is he had a brain all this time. I would see his grades and physiology and whatever. He was like aces. The kid had a brain. I don't, you know, he, he was acting out because of what was involved in the house. Uh, if somebody would have picked up on it, maybe he wouldn't have been as crazy as he was. But he graduated school and became a mortician, but he was never um, healed from the trauma that he suffered um, through the schools and whatnot. So the mortician thing, uh, he knew what he was doing with the dead people. I absolutely knew what he was doing with the dead people. So he was in the field, and people liked him for whatever reason. I mean, he looked like he was... You know, somebody who should be in the psych ward. I mean, he was really bad. I saw a picture of him, and I stared at it, and I asked my sister, like, who is this person? <laughs> she said, that's, that's your brother. And then I stared at him for another 15 minutes, and I did not recognize him. Honestly, never recognized him. 
You know, this was like a, a really big time delinquent, a vandalizer, a violent kids. I mean, I saw him stab somebody. All these things were going on, <laughs> and what the neighbors did instead of like really confronting what was going on, they moved out. They moved the kids away from my brother. So the other one, they they sat in fear of of him. Um, how he didn't end up in jail is beyond me. But I honestly believe it's because of that teacher reaching out to him. So that's how important uh, a child can feel, you know, with their teacher being that they spend so much time with him. Uh, And the people that, you know, make the difference at whatever age, you know, that's when the person can really look at themselves and say, hey, I'm worth something now. You know, I'm not all about everything that happened to me and, you know, what I'm wearing or what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, whose party I'm going to, or am I coming to school high, uh, all of that kind of stuff. They need to feel the connection to make a difference, just to believe in themselves a bit, you know, so they're not just totally pushed aside and just left to end up into the uh, jail system. Because, you know, you're really not going to be hiring people like that. You know, you want people with personality. You want people to represent your, you know, whatever job you have for them. And they need money, and they end up either stealing, which was what my brother did, um, to pay for his – he was into drugs for a while, not very long, not like my sister. He got his act together. I still don't know how, but he did it. Um, So. Yeah, I mean, like, that it was the most shocking thing. I I never spoke to him, you know, ever since to tell him, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm so glad at least that you turned out pretty, you know, not in jail type, you know. But he wreaked havoc on his kids, and that was because nobody protected him. So he took, he was an abuser. The abuse became the abusive. And the the kids, the two of them, one ended up in jail, one died of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. You know, so this cycle has to stop somewhere. And I say you it have is. to get them as early as you can, because kids, mm-hmm. as they grow up, they learn how to hide things because they are embarrassed. I know the hell I was embarrassed by everything. I never wanted anybody to know my family. Nobody ever came to my house because I I knew. That crazy land was not, you know, normal. I would, you know, try to get out of there, but somehow or another, I always got back. So see, that's that's all. What you just said there. Let me say something there, because that is so so true, Lori. A lot of kids, they know that it's not normal what's going on in their house, and they get embarrassed, they get humiliated, they don't want people to come to the house, and yet those same kids. If they're confronted many times, not all the time, but many times, um, they'll stand up for the parents because they don't want to go into foster care. They don't know what they're going into. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to become a part of the system. And that's, you know, they learn more than, they, they get hit more than all this other stuff. And then, yes, when they have their own children, the stats are pretty high with the physical abuse, all right, with the physical abuse. Um, you come from a home where, you know, you're being beaten all the time and stuff. 
you are very likely to abuse your own children. And if you confront someone, they might even go as far as to say, eh, I got hit, yeah, I got punched, and, and all this other stuff, but I turned out okay. Uh-huh. That guy's sitting at the end of the bar, and he's pretty drunk. Yeah, he's doing really well, okay? And then, you know, kids um, with the sexual abuse, uh, it's not as, um, the stats are not that high, as high as you'd think that they should be. If you're sexually abused, even if it's in the family, incest, all this other stuff, um, most of us, uh, we don't want to do that to our children or to other children because we know how we how we feel and how we felt, okay, when we were being um, so abused. So the stats are lower. So the physical is the highest and then the sexual. The emotional abuse, however, can be pretty high too because we're in an abusive home and uh, no one's kind, like <laughs> the way you refer to your mother, okay? I get it. Um, you know, we can, we can, I'm not saying we're going to, but we can, uh, you know, treat our children um, emotionally uh, deficient. They can become emotionally deficient because of our own behavior. And then that's when you have to stop and say, hey, I'm repeating something here because this is how I was brought up with the emotional abuse. What is emotional abuse? Um, they don't give you praise. Uh, they make you feel inadequate. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, help you with anything. Um, with your homework, a lot of times they ignore you or anything that you have to say. Um, it doesn't uh, mean anything. It's not important. They don't sit you down and say, how was your day at school? Or um, is there anything you want to talk about? None of that stuff goes yeah. on. And that can be emotional abuse, and it's really quite bad. Uh, emotional abuse can be quite high also. Uh, it can be. So you have these other abuses that come out. And, um, God, you either turn out okay or you don't. It seems like it's hardly anything in the middle. It's very rare, like with your brother. I know your story, okay? And um, it's amazing it's amazing that he turned out, you know, that he went to college and, and also, too, that uh, he works as a mortician. He got himself a job that he can deal with and, and, and all this other stuff. I don't know how he – you said that he was abusive to his son, though. Didn't you say that, or did I hear you wrong? Both I want to get a drink of, of water. Yeah. 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 See, that's – there you go. telling me that he would run after them and beat them with a shovel. You know, he was yeah. very violent. And that carried over. He could not control his temper. You know, he just yeah. couldn't. So See, that's, that's a so. problem. That's what happens so yeah. often. You know, when that type of abuse comes out, what a shame. Um, well, we haven't heard from Philip, and then I, want, I see if Bill wants to speak. Um, Philip, is there something you want to say? Um, it's a nice conversation tonight. I didn't quite hear what he said. Um, that's my left ear. See, Philip, I got hit in my left ear too many times. I'm like that kid on Christmas Story from the pharmacist who punched him in the ear. <laughs> I can't hear out of my left ear so well. So I think he said, though, that he's going to listen. Is that right? I said it's a nice conversation tonight. 
Oh, it's a nice conversation. That's what you said. Okay. So sometimes if I sound like I'm ignoring you when you talk or something, it's because I have a little problem with my left ear. See? Physical abuse. Now, I'm sure, Lori, that what you were talking about, there was a lot of, you know, we get hit in the head. Come on. My mother was punching me in the head and driving at the same time. And (laughs) this lady came from the other direction, and she lived nearby. And her daughter used to play with me. You notice I said used? She got this look of horror on her face because she saw my mother punch me in the head. And then the kid wasn't allowed over the house anymore. See, this is what happened. Now, let's see what Bill has to say about any of this. Bill, are you there? Well, I agree with Phil. I agree with Phil. It's been a good discussion. And you, you really got a lot to offer. And I, I got to agree with you that Lori is a different person today. <laughs> yes, you she know? is. I'm so proud her of her. She's, she's really changed. <laughs> so, I, I love having you on Friday's, Lori. I hope you keep calling in. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I will. I will be here until I'm dead. I tell Carol that all the so time. Much. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, she's she's really she's she's right she's right up there. She's right up there. Oh yeah. And you know what? Yeah. You know, um, Lori's very smart too. And I I know that Philip is too. And one of these days he's going to go. I just know he is. And I and and he's very smart also. So you know what happens is it takes a while when when we join NASCAR. Bill, think back, okay. Um, now I was always a blabbermouth. Okay, I always yes, had something to say. Yes, I am, and I don't care. So anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but remember that there were some people that you know didn't didn't really want to speak because uh, they were bashful or they didn't want people to know yet their story. But they're they're absorbing um, everything that we speak about because um, they learn from that, and then all of a sudden it desensitizes. Not what happened to them, but it desensitizes the emotional um, feeling that they have in contact with the results of their life and the events that happen in their life. Because they see there's so many other people that went through basically the same thing, basically. So it's good for people to listen. And I think many times we do have people, I know we have people um, listening through the computer tonight. And um, the conversation is very good. It's very realistic. It's what's happening in this world. And, and also, too, it's what's happening in lives, in, in you know, the lives of children. So, um, well, I, let me, can I just make, make one pitch sure. for um, having the people that are listening to call in? And also, you know, maybe they don't want to call in, but if each of the people that's listening would find somebody else to call in, we, we, need, we need some guests. And we need some uh, panelists. So if we have um, folks who have not told their story yet or they know of someone who hasn't told their story yet, please have them contact me and uh, we'll set them up. But we need, you know, guests for next week already again, which is a, a constant problem now. It doesn't have to be. But if we all could cooperate, it doesn't have to be. But anyway, I want to thank everyone who is listening and encourage them to call in maybe next week. Thank you, Carol. Well, all right, listen, I want, I want to ask you something. Um, I heard from Child Help. Did you send that back or did that come from them? I didn't send it Remember back. Remember I sent you something from Child Help and the conversation that took back. place? 
You didn't. Oh, okay, that. and that was from them. Because up top, uh, above where they have child help, you know, printed in, whatever, there's a little tiny thing that says, this sounds great, go for it, and a smiley, happy face. So I'm pretty yeah. sure that that means the 19th then is taken um, and child help will come on. Okay, I just wanted to tell you that. Okay. Well, I'm going to so, and I'll work on right the other now? two. Yes. Yes. Write it in right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. On the 19th. I'll Got work. It. I'll work on the other two. I'll work on the other two. One thing well, we, we have to confirm this too. But we do have to oh, confirm that's no it. Problem. Okay. Let, yeah. I'll, I'll give right, her a call back Monday to, night. Go back to yeah. the panel here. And thank you, ladies, yeah. for calling in, though. Okay. All right. So um, one thing we should go over here is uh, just a little bit here. Um, I'm surprised that Daryl didn't show up. I, I'm hoping he's okay too. To be honest with you. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. But uh, from one the of the Canadian... things I sent him was an email. He'll respond to my email. He's sending me stuff all the time. So I know. I, you know, I expect. And he also to sent me things too, him. Bill. So this is why I'm worried about him. Okay. We both okay. heard from him. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, all right. but anyway, from the Canadian mental health. And this is, I always let people know where they can look this up, uh, www.cmha, I think that's an R, bc.ca. And, and that's a, a, a D.C. division. Now, remember, this is Canadian, so it's going to sound different than what we're used to. But anyway, um, since the time is going by so quickly, holy Christopher, it's faster than I thought. Um, okay, how does childhood sexual abuse affect adults' well-being? Childhood abuse can have a wide range of effects in adulthood. Some adult super, um, su- survivors experience mental problems. Abuse is trauma, which is shocking, intense, and distressing. The effects of trauma include a uh, complicated mix of factors such as the amount of any kind of trauma you, you know, previously experienced, um, the severity of it, this is what we're talking about tonight a little bit, the severity of it, like repetition and what happens, the different kinds, how close you were to the person who abused you, mother, father, right, whatever, how long it lasted for, how people you trusted um, reacted to it if you told. Now, that was right on topic right there. We were talking about people who don't, you know, respond when we speak to them. They turn, they walk the other way. They don't want their family laundry, as they used to say, aired out. They don't want people to know if there's a problem in the household. And then it just continues, doesn't it? And uh, did they believe you and support you or dismiss you? I spoke to a lady years ago now in Sears. Um, She was working behind the counter and, uh, of course, in the jewelry department. And (laughs) so anyway... I was talking to her, and I was speaking about NASCA, and um, it turns out that she, too, had been abused, and it was by a family member. Well, she didn't know what to do with that information uh, and all the things that uh, was happening to her. And I said, well, you should turn the person in. She said, oh, I can't do that. I said, why can't you do that? And she said, because then everybody will know what my family is. So you see, that's another problem, Lori, too, because my mother knew that my brother was abusing me. She knew it. I told her. See, I told on everybody 
that abused me. Family and not family. Except for one time when I was 17, I got raped and I was became pregnant and uh, God took my baby. All right, I had a miscarriage. So I have a little angel up there that's waiting for me. And I just know I'm going to go up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, but okay, so many things happened to us, Lori. Okay. And it just seems to be one thing after another, after another, after another. But this lady, she's enabling. See, this is what people have to understand. And and in my family, they just acted like I was nuts, and my mother just said, oh, things like this happen in families. Well, yes, they do, but it's not supposed to. And if we allow, you know, for our children to be, whether it be sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally, whatever, um, by siblings um, or other family people, then we are enabling the situation and the child who is being abused, only God knows what they're going to turn out like. Okay? So this is why I'm, I'm thankful that uh, 48 states are involved with this now. Like I said, with some it's a, a definite, definite. With others, they're dragging their feet, and I don't know why. And um, but they too, I'm sure, with a little bit of pressure, are going to, you know, have it'll be more than forty. Maybe it'll be the whole country. That's what we're waiting for, the whole country. And um, that will help a little bit. Okay. So you don't have to be a mandated reporter to report. You can be a neighbor down the street, and um, you have an obligation now because God forbid. If you're watching some kid and knowing that some kid is getting abused and you don't say something, and this kid dies, say from head injuries, because in the ER room, that is where most of the uh, kids end up with the head trauma, and a lot of them do die because you get get hit in the head too many times, your head isn't going to take it and you're going to die. Now, if someone down the street knows about it, and they don't do anything about it, then they should be fined. They should be equally as guilty, almost equally as guilty. Because maybe if they'd opened up their mouth, even if it's just going to the police, and let them hand it over to whoever is going to you know, handle the situation, um, then you've done your job, and maybe, just maybe, you've saved a life. And that's important. So we can go back to what you were starting at the very beginning of the show, which was the school system. They have to cut it out. They have to be the mandated reporters, mandated reporters that they are, and they have to take action. Because you're right, Lori, they spend an awful lot of time with our kids. And like when I went to school, looking the way that I looked, the teacher should have said something. I have a picture here that is so haunting. I was, um, let me think, I was seven years old. And I used to hate having a um, school picture taken because I didn't have clothes and stuff. My mother didn't provide for me. She hated me, and I, that's another story. I wasn't meant to be, all right? So um, 
I remember a teacher taking me into the ladies' room, not the girls' room, the ladies' room. She used her own comb before the pictures were being taken. And she was angry with me. I'm just a kid. And she put the comb under water, and she started messing with my hair to straighten it out. And in those days, I didn't like those styles. What would you just do? My cat. Don't growl at me. But anyway, <laughs> she probably wants to be fed. But anyway, um, she wasn't a nice teacher. I mean, she was annoyed because of the way that I looked, and pictures were going to be taken. And um, I, I'm just a kid, seven years old. So you see... Then the guy wanted me to smile. Come on, come on, little girl, smile, smile. You're having your picture taken, smile. Well, I didn't feel like smiling. I was embarrassed because of what the teacher had to do, and I was being sexually abused a whole bunch. I didn't feel like smiling at all. Okay? So this little boy went behind this guy's back, and and he made a face, and then he put his fingers up like devil fingers or something, something to that effect. I don't know what, but it made me smirk. That's when he took my picture. Okay, at least I had a smirk on my face. And um, I will gladly share my picture, that picture, with anybody, because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see a skinny, skinny neck with the uh, the shoulders in my my dress. Uh, being much too big and hanging and drooping. And, um, well, I looked terribly anemic. I looked very sick, and I was. I was very sick. And I was pulling my hair out. You see, self-harm. Self-harm. I couldn't change the situation because, you see, we are just kids. So that picture is in the top of my jewelry box. And I hold on to it. And that's a reminder to me, not that I really need one, we none of us do, but it's a reminder of what can happen to children, what does happen to children every single day, 365 days a year. And it doesn't matter where they come from. And the point is child abuse and trauma is out there, full-blown. So I hope people get fined and if a child dies because someone doesn't have the courage, you can remain anonymous. You can call if you want to do it outside of your area, and I've had people do this. You can call the 1-800-4-A-CHILD number. Now, that's child help, and we're going to have them on the show soon. They have a hotline service. I'm going to have her speak about that, too. So it's the 1-800-4-A-CHILD, okay? Just C-H-I-L-D, figure it out on the phone. And um, they'll help you because I called them at 2 o'clock in the morning. This is years ago now, and she knows it too. I told her. Daphne Young, that's her name. That's who's going to come on the show. And I told her that I had called at 2 a.m. in the morning. I wanted to see what the counselors were like, see how well-trained they were. See if they'd answer the phone, because I've gotten emails and, and telephone calls from people where they call, and the phone is not answered in different organizations. You call child help, you're going to get the help you need. So then I told her who I was, right, and she laughed at me. And, uh, you know, I'm Carol Levine from NASCA, blah, blah, blah. 
and um, we had a nice conversation, and I hung up. So I certainly know that that organization, and because they responded so well that night to me, um, yeah, I promote them, you bet. And I do have them on the show. So um, I think we had a very good uh, show tonight, Lori. And uh, you are a definite, and I wrote this before my phone died, or almost died, a definite asset, you know, to NASCA. I'm very thankful that you're here, okay? And I want you to know that we appreciate you. I thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Well, that's the way that it is. And and Lori is very talented. She makes, um, uh, I guess it's the pillows for the preemies or the blankets. I said blankets probably for the preemies, right? Yeah, the blankets for the preemies, the hats, and I make chemo hats and, you know, things for kids like the diamond paintings and coloring pages. Anything that, you know, gets a kid into, you know, office problems, you know. Because they don't usually have anything, so they need stuff. Right. Well, that's wonderful (laughs) that you do that. And she doesn't put her name on it, and she doesn't advertise herself. And she makes beautiful stuff. I just got the 90-second cue, so I'm going to have to wrap the show up. And Daryl, I don't know what happened to you tonight, but I do hope you're all right. Bill and I are both concerned. And um, so we will have another show on Monday night. And um, have a good weekend, okay? So thank you, good night, and God bless. Good night. Good night, honey. Love Talk Radio.